This is Petticoat Roll, a program about musical productivity examined through the storytelling lens of women in the music industry. I'm your host, Erica Lang, and let me introduce producer Tara Molesworth. Hello. And our guest today is Maura Jacob. Hi there. Jacob is perhaps best known in the Pittsburgh music scene as part of the dynamic doom pop post-punk group Action Camp, in which she has sung and played bass for over a decade. I first saw her play with Action Camp in 2010 when we both graced the then Shadow Lounge stage, performing as supporting acts for Crunkwitch from Maine. I was at the very, very, very beginning of my rock and roll journey, and I remember just being so impressed by Mora, rocking the bass like it was nobody's business. Since then, my perception of her persona has blossomed, as I have observed her to be a most giving person living with intention and purpose. It seems to me that she is in a state of constant growth as much as she is in a constant state of fomenting positivity in the lives of others, particularly vulnerable populations. Today, we're going to talk to Maura about her journey as a musician and about how she weaves her giving spirit through her career and musical passions. So Action Camp is your long, big project. Mm-hmm. Is that your first musical project? You you grew up like your dad's a musician, right? Yes. Um, my dad is a musician, um, and I come from a musical family and artistic family in, in many different directions. Um, so I've been performing from a very young age. I um, My father's side of the family has a lot of musicians. My uh, great-grandfather actually wrote folk songs about Pittsburgh. Really? Yeah. Uh, If you ever want to look him up, his name is Robert Schmertz. Uh, Wow, what a name. Yeah. And uh, which I think (laughs) – I don't know German, but I think if you pronounce it Schmertz, it's like pain. Uh, So that's kind of a fun tidbit there. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) he's – His name is literally pain. Yeah. I'm bringing the pain. Or something. I don't – yeah. That's my – I could be totally wrong. Someone's going to write in and be like, that's not what that is. Um, but I like to think about it that way. It gives a little bit of mythos there. But uh-huh. uh, but yeah, he wrote uh, folk songs. And then my grandmother taught uh, art in the public school system uh, for most of her career. Um, and then my father has been in bands since he was in high school. He plays bass and he's still doing it. He's mm-hmm. at punk rock karaoke every month. Oh, uh, cool. Playing the bass. behind that. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the one of the folks there. Um, but so with, with that happening, um, I've, you know, we always had family gatherings that were really big 
uh, Christmas gatherings at my grandmother's house and would always end up with folks singing and, and doing different things by a certain point in the night. And so I would join in with that. And then, um, I feel like I'm going to tell you like a ridiculously long story. So I'll try to figure out how to not make it a ridiculously long story. You can tell a long story. (laughs) Like vision, the campfire is here and you're telling us in the old Appalachia mountains about the history (laughs) of your family. Sure. Okay. Well, (laughs) with that in mind, um, so I went to, I went to Catholic school, um, but I wasn't raised in a particular religion and, the reason this is important is because we would have mass every Friday, uh, and the thing that I could take part in uh, was choir. Mm-hmm. And so that became like my earliest experiences in terms of performing by myself, doing solos and things like that, and uh, learning how to read music. That's where I learned how to read music. And it's... Um, I often was doing the harmonies and what have you because there's usually only a handful of kids that can do it. And so you get a lot of work, uh, as a little kid, if you can do the harmonies. Uh, <laughs> so, so that was good. And then I went to, um, to Kappa, the creative and performing arts high school. Oh, you did. Uh huh. Nice. For vocal music. Uh, and so I had a lot of great experiences doing that, but then I wasn't really sure if I wanted music to be my career, or at least in the sense of, I didn't know if I wanted to teach, uh, which is often where people have, you know, that's what people do for their bread and butter uh, with music degrees. And then the the lucky few can actually do just performance for mm-hmm. everything. And so I wasn't really sure if that was for me. So I got a liberal arts degree. Uh, but in the midst of doing that is when I met Ben mm-hmm. um, in Action Camp. Yeah. For those that don't know. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And we've been performing together since uh, I was 21 years old. And so we will have been a band in February uh, for 12 years. Wow. Um, So, yeah, um, we're a duo for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we've added uh, Joe to our lineup. Yeah, playing drums. Yes. Um, So how did that come about? I have questions about about like what it's like to incorporate a new person after so much time and like what prompted all of that? How did it happen? Um, So I would say that at least from the get-go of Action Camp, we were never fully opposed to having drums, but we had a lot of early missteps with, we had a drummer in the very, very beginning and then he was in a lot of projects and couldn't really commit. Mm -hmm. And then we tried to have another person and it just didn't really gel. And so at a certain point, Still fairly early on, Ben and I were like, we'll just do it ourselves. Like, we'll just be the two of us and we'll figure out, you know, it was still early days of even figuring out what we wanted to sound like. So it wasn't as though we were really committed to a certain rock aesthetic that had to have live drums. You know, we were still sort of growing as a band. And so we thought, okay, um, you know, Ben has a lot of knowledge about he he went to school for sound engineering um and so he knows a lot about how to program drums and how to do different recordings and things like that and so that made it practical for us to just use electronic drums mm-hmm. and everything else we kind of figure out between the two of us um which has led to me learning how to play lots of instruments i never thought i would learn how to play yeah uh, <laughs> so you, i know you play the bass and yes. i've seen you play the synthesizer yes so what is uh what are all of the things that you play well um i would 
I would say I don't play many things well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I play them kind of to the level that it's essentially, it's very utilitarian. I learn how to play it for what it is I'm playing it for. And then, you know, the bass was something that, uh, you know, you would think because my father is a bassist that I was immediately attracted to playing it. But really what pushed me over the edge was starting to work with Ben and he plays guitar and he plays it very masterfully. So, you know, it just sort of is like, well, I think we have to have bass. And so I'm going to learn how to play bass. And, um, and of course my father's super excited about that, but but that's really how that came about. And that's how a lot of other instruments I've learned how to play have been just sort of okay, well, we want to have ukulele in this song or we want to have some live percussion in this song and only one of us can do it at, you know, at this moment in the song. And so I'll figure out how to do it. You just have to do it Yep, out of necessity. Pretty much uh, trial by fire, which I think has on a certain level been very freeing because then I don't have... I don't have preconceived notions of how this instrument is played or what you should mm-hmm. do with it. Uh, and I don't even have an idea. I've never had formal lessons with bass, so I don't even have a clear idea of, you know, your hands, your your fingers should be arranged this way or you should be doing X, Y, Z. And so that's sort of freeing. Um, but I would say in the early days, it also led to a lot of anxiety and like <laughs> imposter syndrome feelings. oh my god that's the worst feeling it, because I just you know because in my mind I knew I only know how to do this much like mm-hmm. this is as far as I can go and, and you're like sure someone out there can definitely tell that they I can don't see me know. panicking yeah. internally and <laughs> they know uh-huh. that this isn't this isn't your thing, you know? Yeah, um, except so then, like, in 2010, how long had you been playing the bass when I saw you playing the bass on that, on uh, that gig? So four years at that point, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was out there being like, what a bad ass. And I guarantee I was still like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good to hear. Uh-huh. Uh, not uh, visible on the face. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> no, I was like, wow, those two people, like, kick ass. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So then how does Joe fit into that? Uh, So we've been working together for a long time. And uh, we actually started, we knew Joe from other projects because Joe has been in many bands and has also been playing for a really long time. And uh, so we had met before, but then um, we were putting together a band for Tribute Fest for the Halloween show that Ben's been putting on for several years and uh, we wanted to do Queen and we knew that Joe was super into Queen and he plays multiple instruments and so it kind of all lined up that Joe was on drums and you know I was Freddie and you know Mm -hmm. we just got along really well and um, we dug his style and it really kind of came down to about a few really only a few weeks after we finished the show uh, I got a call from Ben uh, just sort of being like, so what would you think about asking Joe to play drums? And I just immediately said, yeah, let's do that. What keeps Action Camp chugging along? Like, what is your songwriting process altogether? So, well, in terms of what keeps Action Camp chugging along, I think I think I've learned a lot about uh, collaboration, communication, teamwork, when you're a two-person band, you have to learn how to talk to each other and you have to learn how to fight, um, which I think 
I mean, it sounds so couple-y, mm-hmm. like couples therapy, but on a certain level, when there's only two people doing something, like you really have to learn how to work through those things. And so I think Ben and I have always been on a similar page as far as what big picture we want Action Camp to sound like, and we have the same kind of work ethic and um so not a lot of disagreements centered around the really big things, but then we'd have plenty of fights about the smaller things. And our temperaments are really different. And so in turn, the way we would describe or talk about things would be really different and it would lead to conflict. And so we've learned um, to be much better at talking with each other, um, to work through fights rather than just letting them trying to push them aside and then they start to fester. I think that that's something I've seen in other groups where there are these, what are in reality, like fairly small issues, but they're never addressed. And Mm -hmm. so they start to pile up in terms of these smaller and smaller issues become this bigger and bigger thing. And then it's really hard to go back and rehash or fix the things that have been piling. Mm -hmm. And so we've learned even if it means that you don't end up having a really productive day that day, it's better to talk those things out and have them be done rather than trying to put them aside. And I think that's helped also with bringing Joe in is not only do we have shorthand, but we've also just gotten better and prioritized talking. So if Joe really needs to talk something through with us, we're not annoyed that we're taking this portion of the day Mm -hmm. to kind of work through something um and what have you but um you're so sage yeah. and wise <laughs> well it's through a lot of trial and error of <laughs> yeah but i think it's also partly your i think it's inherent in your personality that you're like very patient and willing to listen and like really listen not just like hear someone but try to understand where they're coming from so that Thanks. you can find your way to them and then be able to communicate accurately. Mm-hmm. I think not everybody possesses that. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people give up before they get to that point where they actually understand someone else's point of view. Sure. Cause they're not really actively listening, you know, Right. but it's, I feel like that's part of like, cause your work in your day to day life is, um, more in like a social work arena. Is mm-hmm. that accurate? Yeah, I'm um well, I'm currently a full-time student, uh which is really nice and lots of work simultaneously. Um <laughs> but I am currently um in grad school for um I'm getting a joint degree in social work and public health. Uh and a lot of that came about as a result. I've had a lot of different jobs. Um in part because of music, I've always tried to have jobs that sort of accommodated having shows or trying to go out of town and, and whatnot. Um, and I've moved a lot. Uh, so that's resulted in a lot of different jobs, but uh, I've circled back around to, uh, women's health. And, um, the last job I had for a longer period of time was working as, um, a community doula mm-hmm. with a nonprofit, uh, well, that is now a part of UPMC, but it was originally a nonprofit um, that worked with women who had Medicaid, um, underserved populations in Pittsburgh. Uh, and uh, it was at no cost to the clients themselves. It was paid for via grants or through a combination of that and Medicaid mm-hmm. uh, payments. And 
I ended up working with a lot of Pittsburgh women and then also with um, the growing refugee population right. as a result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it spurred me in terms of wanting to go back to school. I would say that uh, I'm – so I'm in social work and there's sort of two sides of social work. There's the direct practice, which is what – everyone thinks of when they hear social work. It's more sort of like the the stereotypical jobs would be, you know, counseling or really one-on-one type practice. And then there's another side of social work that um, is called COSA, which is community organizing and social action. Um, that's like the macro side of social work. So a lot of times it's the managers, it's the people in charge of these different agencies, but it can also be community organizers, like folks that go out and do different political actions or work in CDCs or things of that nature. And so that's the side that I'm in for school. And part of the reason I'm there is because as a doula, doing more direct practice things, I really loved it. And at the same time, was so aggravated by having no voice, no say in a lot of the problems I was seeing with local healthcare and healthcare at large. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the barriers that my clients were encountering. And I just, I had previously in college and a little bit after been more a part of radical activism work. Yeah, you're definitely an Um, activist. Yeah, and so I I just felt I couldn't sustain in a more one-on-one for myself personally in terms of preventing burnout and what have you. Mm -hmm. I just, I wanted to work in a much grander scale. Um, so that's sort of, it was a wonderful experience and I think I would still do, do the work. Um, it's not really conducive in school because it, you're on call all the time. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Babies come when they come. Yeah. Can um, I ask you a real quick yeah. question about sure. like, like for people who are naive like me, that's fine. the difference between a doula and a midwife? And don't that's like the most common question <laughs> and for good reason because uh-huh. doulas still aren't um a super common uh, I'm uh, the only word I'm thinking of is commodity but uh <laughs> I don't know why um but so the main difference is that a midwife is medical staff um they monitor the the health of the baby, the health of the mother throughout pregnancy and birth and afterwards. And so they have, in addition to, you know, often a lot of skills with counseling and kind of a more holistic look at the patient, um, they still have, you know, in Pennsylvania, I think they're required to be nurses. I could be wrong. But in a lot of states, midwives are required to have a nursing certification as well as, you know, doing specific things uh, related to midwifery, Um, whereas a doula is non-medical personnel. And so doulas come from all walks of life, um, and the process, you don't even have to be certified. Um, Certification is recommended in terms of just for your professional life, and a lot of agencies want you to be certified. But that process is really reading books, um, going to a a longer training and then experience. Um, so there, a large percentage of doulas are mothers themselves, and mm-hmm. then they became interested in, you know, supporting other women, and um, you went through that process and kind of figure out how to balance their own family and then being there for other folks. And then there are some women like myself who don't have kids but feel passionately about um, women having 
a voice in their healthcare and in supporting women through what uh, in most cultures is a big rite of passage. It's a big transition between who you were before having this child and who you are now, you know, so, um, uh, but yeah, so your responsibility is more to the mother throughout the whole process. You don't have to monitor her vitals. You Mm -hmm. don't have to, uh, like keep track of how the baby is doing. You start learning those things when you're there, you kind of learn, uh, at least what are the things that the staff tends to be looking at on a regular basis and what have you, but you're there to kind of help the mother, um, she's if she wants to help her with like comfort measures mm-hmm. for physical pain um but you're there also for emotional, emotional support yeah that's what I was um, thinking. you do a lot for partners if there if there is a partner you know they've often never they've never been to a birth and mm-hmm. then they're they're with their partner who's uncomfortable and it's it's uncomfortable to watch your partner be uncomfortable um so kind of helping them understand what's normal, what's not normal, Mm -hmm. so that they can be helpful because the mother usually wants their own partner to be involved. Right. But that's a daunting thing when you don't know, (laughs) you don't know anything about childbirth and you don't want to do the wrong thing. And do you meet with, you meet with the people beforehand, right? Yes. For some period of time. Yeah. And I think that can look different for different folks. So with the agency I was working for, we would meet with the mothers um, at least three to four times before the birth. Um, and we would do a lot of education too. So kind of explaining, you know, what to expect when you go to the labor and delivery room and we can talk about what some of your choices are. And, Mm -hmm. um, the, the big thing is, is that you're also there the whole time. So it's the emotional component I think is really big Mm -hmm. because nurses come and go, midwives come and go, even shift work, that kind of thing. But the doula is there from when you want her to be there until after the baby is oh, there. Okay. So that's like some continuity there too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, mm-hmm. this is, um, if you kind of already answered this question already, but I, one of the things I wonder about because you're so giving and you do so much work kind of like in, not exactly in service of others, but to help other people be able to help themselves and everything like that. Um, I just wonder like how, do you get exhausted? <laughs> you must. Uh, well, you kind of already answered this because you said like you moved into this sort of meta version sure. of yeah. social work to kind of protect yourself. Is that mm-hmm. an accurate assessment? Yeah, I would say that's accurate. And I think it was a process to kind of have always been a more introverted person, um, which helps which helps with being introspective, but I don't think it immediately gives you the skills to understand what you're even, the messages you're getting. So you spend a little bit more time with yourself, but you still have to learn how to translate your own thoughts. Girl, I can relate. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it took a long time to really like key into, oh, this really doesn't work for you. You're trying and trying, but this really, this is too much. Or, um, Or this is the part of this thing that you like. And so maybe go after that as opposed to the the exact scenario that you're in right now. Mm-hmm. And so that took a long time to sort through. And I wouldn't say that I think that that's a process you go through probably your whole entire life. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, sp- I spend time with my cats. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Spend time with my with my spouse. And uh, I read 
I read comics, go to the movies. Yeah. I'm a big pop culture person. Both of those things were <laughs> in my fun stuff category of things yeah? I was going to ask you about. Yeah. Okay. Well, well so you mentioned <laughs> comics and like I'm, I was somehow aware that you were into comics throughout my various interactions with you. Okay. Like, um, like Bitch Planet, feminist mm-hmm. mm-hmm. sci-fi mm-hmm. type of thing. What's that yeah. like? Oh, Bitch Planet is great. Uh, it very much has qualities sort of like, exploitation movie kind of thing like the way the plot works it has some of those sort of qualities to it but um the premise behind it is that in the not so distant future um when it's sort of a patriarchal society to the extreme and so women can be sent to jail for being non-compliant as mm. in um having qualities that we would associate with, you know, independence and feminism and, and not really the 1950s housewife image. Right. And so you can be sent to jail for those sorts of qualities. We would all be in jail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, and so uh, the, the plot of it sort of follows the lives of women who are in the prison. And then we get more and more glimpses of society at large and how crazy that society is but then of course it acts as a commentary on how aspects of it really aren't that far-fetched or really aren't that far from the truth Mm -hmm. um it's which is one of the qualities of comics and i like a lot of sci-fi i i heard that you are a trek person i'm a trekkie yeah uh, which i say that and then i don't know a lot about star trek but i can say that i love a lot of different types of Mm sci-fi and that's one of the things I like about it as a genre is it really gives you it gives you this really fascinating way to explore issues that are really hard to talk about when we're talking about them in present tense because yes. we have such an attachment or have our own ideas based on personal experiences that make it cloudy and murky. And then when we put it in this fantastical or not so fantastical future somehow it becomes a little bit easier to work with it and to and to even see sides of it that personally I refuse to see in the present you know so um I think people don't always understand that about sci-fi although I know that's why I love Star Trek (laughs) it's like especially the original Star Trek series when you look at it you Mm -hmm. can easily see Mm -hmm. how it's addressing the issues from those those days Mm -hmm. I mean and in fact still we have all those same issues still oh yeah they just they just look different and (laughs) which is part of what makes things like that realistic because probably not all of those things would be fixed even then unfortunately Mm -hmm. um yeah that's true but at the same time I this, this is a good jumping off. I just heard a thing. Uh, I feel like that's my start of everything. I'm like, I just heard this thing on the radio or I just heard this <laughs> other piece. Um, but they were talking about, I know so little about this topic, but they were talking about Afrofuturism, uh-huh. which is fascinating. And I don't know that much. But in terms of why a lot of people are attracted to Afrofuturism. Wait, what is Afrofuturism? So Afrofuturism uh, exists in a lot of things, uh, but what I'm thinking of it in reference to is it's in comics or movies um, and music, actually. Uh, there's examples of it. But essentially, it's imagining black people in the future um, and usually in, you know, new and exciting situations. That inc- uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, like Afropunk stuff online, a lot of uh, people dress up in these amazing costumes and 
and what have you. Um, but the reason I reference it is just to say that part of what is attractive about it to a lot of like black comic folks um, and and others is that it's taking a group and showing that they have a future. You mm -hmm. know, so we it's mm -hmm. these are these are darker times and we as a you know, so Bitch Planet as another example. So like we as women face a lot of oppression and there has been progress and then there's we the pendulum swings back and forth. And of course that can very much be said for people of color mm -hmm. in terms of we make a certain amount of progress, we go back. Mm -hmm. Um and so really having these images of black people um being powerful in the future, being explorers, being astronauts, going to the far reaches of the universe, um, and still existing and surviving, um, for this is again something I heard and I was so moved by this description because it resonated with me too in terms of why I like science fiction. It's sort of even in a dystopian narrative, you can say, we're still there. You know, we're still working through this and there are always people who have bad intent and do bad things. And then the hope would be that there are still people who are trying to do something else with that. And mm -hmm. so, I don't know, it was just really interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I love about your spirit is that you are someone who cares about that and is also trying to make a difference in that way. Almost like you have a, you have a personal feeling of a mission to help people who are less privileged than yourself. Um, and I think you inspire other people too. You posted something and, and along with it, you wrote protesting is an American tradition and an activity not available to all. When you possess power, it is your duty to use that power to lift up and protect those that are vulnerable to speak power to power. And that really resonated with people. And like multiple people were like, oh, I'm reposting that. Like people, <laughs> a lot of people reposted that you said that. And I think that is, um, just an example of, you're, you know, you having this feeling and you putting it out there with all your actions and with your words and then other people seeing that and then it spreads from there. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's really, I find that very inspirational. I think it's great. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And I, um, I feel like it's something that's in your work and it's something, I feel like it's in your music. Like um, you're, uh, one of the things you're going to do later for the performance is a piece from the PA album. Mm -hmm. And that is an album all about man-made disasters, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really interesting topic yeah. for an <laughs> album. Like your albums have points, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I feel um, sometimes it's not always purposeful, but a lot of times there will at least be a chunk of songs that end up having a theme and it could be a pretty loose theme or a much more concentrated theme like PA was. Um, and uh, I find that helpful in my creative process when I can sort of see these threads that connect um, the different things that we're working on. And um, I think it helps me sort through my thoughts a little bit because sometimes I want to know personally, since I write our lyrics, I want to kind of know is really at the core of what you're trying to do right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes having that theme when I'm struggling with where I want to go, it kind of comes back to, okay, well, this is what you were trying to accomplish. And so 
knowing that, how are we going to get there? You mm-hmm. know, so that's. Do you uh, write helpful. all the lyrics? I do. Um, Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I write all the lyrics, I, which isn't to say um, Ben or Joe don't have input. Um, there have definitely been some songs that um, one line in it, for example, was theirs. It just occurred to them they really liked it, and then I liked it too, and so I found a way to kind of build mm-hmm. things around it. Um, and actually, thinking about it, Ben wrote most of the lyrics for "The Storm," which is on the newer EP. Um, but as you know, ninety-five percent <laughs> I do uh, the lyric writing. So. Great. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about some gender issues. So we'll okay. transition a little bit into that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up was, you know, you brought up the tribute fests earlier mm-hmm. and I love how you guys do the tribute fests and you bring in all these other musicians and you learn, like you dissect the songs in exactly the way. At the beginning you said, oh, I don't really love to do that all the time, but you have done that for several mm-hmm. artists, mm-hmm. Um, a couple of whom are are dudes. So yes. you like play dudes, you yes. know? So. so you've been Freddie Mercury. And you've been David Gunn from Depeche Mode. Mm-hmm. And you've been Bono. Mm-hmm. I did Bono. And the same year, I did Didi Ramon. Uh, that did two sets wow. uh, that year. But, so <laughs> um, is this just like learning a new instrument is just out of necessity because you somebody has to do this part and you're there <laughs> and you love the music? Or do you like get into the role? Like what's your – you like acting – I like acting to a degree. I haven't seriously acted uh, since high school, college days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm not someone in my own music that uses a persona. I know some people um, find it easier or they enjoy doing it with a persona and I'm, I'm just not one of those people. Um, but uh, some of it comes from a necessity. We really want to do these songs. I think I can do them. It'll maybe even add like a different quality to them. So that sounds like fun. Um, but it definitely has been a really interesting process to do because I want to sell it and I mm-hmm. don't want it to be there's this woman doing this, you know, which has its own novelty and its own great right. qualities, but we're doing a legit cover, you know. So I want people to kind of at least put a a little bit of that out Mm -hmm. of their mind. And so, um, you know, we we have to alter the key of some of the songs, especially Depeche Mode. He has such a low voice, so we had to (laughs) figure out how to to work with that. But um, it's been really – it's been really interesting. That's not the challenging part. The challenging part is the physicality is so different, the Mm -hmm. way that men move on stage – is different. Right. So, so like when you were doing Freddie Mercury, I thought about it a lot before I saw you perform. I was like, wow, it's really challenging. Cause I mean, for one thing, he's so often just without any clothes, so, like any shirt, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. what's her outfit going to be? I can't wait to see. And, um, <laughs> and you kind of did like a faux band kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it looked like maybe it was like flesh colored, right? It was this bright orange actually, oh, but gosh, it was only my memory. It's okay. I wish well, it was flesh colored. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of, I went back and forth about it because I was, I thought to myself, do I do something that reads, you know, as bare-chested guy, which I can't t- completely accomplish, but I can come kind of close, or do I just go in the totally other direction and have it be – because he wore bright colors, but mm-hmm. he didn't 
but it, he often stripped down and set. So he would start with bright colors and then yeah. <laughs> it would become something else. But and you did take your clothes off during the course of the set, I, as I recall. I did, um, to an extent. Not uh, all the way, yeah, not all the way, guys. <laughs> <laughs> started, with, started with like a white, like cut off tee. Uh, I had like the leather jacket, like that whole deal. But um, And then the but, movements, yeah. as you were saying, mm-hmm. you studied how he moved. Yeah, which. I mean, some of that is hard to accomplish when you're on a teeny tiny stage uh, in Pittsburgh versus a massive stadium to run around in. Mm -hmm. Um, But on top of that, um, I've heard this before, and in my experience, I would say it's true. I think women physically are often taught to be small. We are taught to cross our legs, fold our hands, um, to accommodate space for other people, either consciously or not. And so I think that translates in uh, the way that we walk around and in the way that we gesture and all those sorts of things. It extends out to that. And men are not taught the same things. Um, And so they, and, you know, physically they have they're more square or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm sure there are a lot of factors to this. This um, is what leads but, to manspreading. But right. That's, I mean, that's a, an aspect of it. And now people are becoming kind of more conscious. They've picked that particular mm-hmm. w- physicality, that particular way of being to kind of single out because it's also so obvious in terms of you are sitting in a place on the subway that has four seats and only one person is sitting there Mm -hmm. obviously something is wrong (laughs) but um but yeah it's just this much more open open chest open legs bigger hands you know and there are always exceptions to that but i would say especially with freddie and bono and all of these folks that we've done they're just much they're very extroverted and they're very, they're very big and Mm -hmm. I am not a very big person. And so, um, that was a challenge I didn't anticipate. (laughs) So did you exaggerate your movements and everything then? To me it was, I hope it read, uh, as close, you know, or as close as I was going to get, uh, Mm -hmm. to that particular, it, it felt exaggerated. And so it took a long time to also be comfortable with that. It felt like I was being over the top and then I would see, videos from the night and be like, oh, that could have been even bigger. I could have, yeah. you know, uh-huh. <laughs> I could have done way more with that, but it felt crazy. It felt nuts, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I did uh, Vince Neil from Montley Crew, and it, I yeah. had a similar kind of thing, and I'm getting down there and all this crotch stuff. And, <laughs> and I just was like going with it, you know, and I had mm-hmm. I had like a cod piece, which really helped actually. It just yeah, gave me that I mentality. Mm-hmm. I just like suddenly I just knew what to do when <laughs> I had this cod piece on and it had studs, and I was like, oh, I got this guys I saw those pictures and I was like I was so I was like that's brilliant that's such a good (laughs) idea because it really does it changes your even it gave me a unit down there to have to want to display like I wanted to display (laughs) I wanted to put it in everybody's face I mean Uh like I just immediately became more manly because of this (laughs) but then this thing happened to me though and I want to ask you if this happened to you sure after this performance Vince Neil stayed in me. <laughs> so I have a little bit of him now. And mm-hmm. now I'm a woman on stage doing my woman thing. Right. But I've got these like, I do these like Vince Neely kind of move things in mm-hmm. my stage presence now. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think I just, he 
I merged or something and we're together <laughs> Some now. Sort of spiritual something happened crossover. and he didn't leave when he, he came in and he didn't leave. So have uh, you, have you imbued <laughs> these characters? Have you, have they stayed with you in any way? Um, I would say it might not have been as complete of a, of a merger. Um, <laughs> but I think in the same way that we, as a, in our original music have started to kind of come into our own in terms of embracing the things that we love and, and kind of we already talked about darker subject matter and now we're going to have that heavier quality to, to really match up and, and all that sort of thing. I think that playing these men um, and playing the women, just really pushing myself to be something different than mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. has helped as far as really opening myself up personally too. So I feel more comfortable moving around on stage for sure. Um, partially because I don't have to play as many instruments anymore. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I can just nice. focus, just focus on singing and playing bass, which is really nice. Um, but, um, I feel more comfortable. People, I, people loved those performances. People embraced these, what to me felt like pretty extreme sometimes mm-hmm. movements. And so, it made me feel like I could do what came naturally to me and that wasn't going to be a mistake. And I don't think I consciously realized that I held back at other times, but once that sort of came together, I thought, oh, well, I can I can be myself. People will be okay with this. Yeah. Know, so. I mean, actually, <laughs> when you're a performer on stage, one secret trick is that you can actually do anything you want because you're on stage. Pretty much. And they don't really have a choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're there doing your thing. Like you get, you get the moment. Mm-hmm. You're on stage. Yeah. You really, it's something that I, um, I really wish I knew in the beginning. And cause I thought, you know, I thought I kind of knew how things worked cause I had done choir and classical voice and I'd been performing for a long time, but then being in a band has a different quality because it's all you. This is your music. This is you're performing your own things. Um, and so it has a totally different quality. And something I wish I had known was that you really do control to a certain extent what people feel and think about what they're seeing. So if you're bashful about your music or, you know, I hear bands apologize for XYZ thing went wrong or what have you. You don't have to do that. You, you can no, it's really. It's worse if you do. It is. It is. And I think, you know, it's a, again coming back to that. I hear this a lot from, from women in particular, but from all different, it comes back to this idea of accommodating people and you don't want to put people out and, and what have you. And so, um, when you start to get self-conscious, some people, that's how they handle it is they apologize. And, um, really, if you embrace what you're doing, it's the whole like fake it till you make it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, people are on board. It it actually takes a, a lot for <laughs> people to turn on you. Yeah. Um, so um, I wish I had known that earlier. And I freely tell people that now in terms uh-huh. of like, don't apologize for yourself. Like everyone's here to see you in the best of ways. They're not here to pick you apart. Yeah. They want to hear what you're doing. And do you feel a sense it. of freedom when you're on stage? Definitely. Um, I, as I said, I don't really um, use a persona, but I've talked 
to Ben about this because Ben has a similar feeling about it where it's almost like getting to express a part of myself that's there, but really just getting to put her front and center. Um, so it's not that she's hidden or that I never get to be this person, but you know, she, that, that quality of myself gets to be kind of more out there front and center. And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy, I enjoy that. And, um, I feel like I'm more aware of, I, I don't know why I keep coming back to physicality. I feel like I'm more aware of my body when I'm playing in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of fun to kind of get to, I'm not a big dancer for our stuff, but you know, to get to move around, to like see, you know, see my hands doing the things I want them to do <laughs> on the mm-hmm. bass and, you know, voice is a really, really physical instrument. You it know, is. it's the, it's the, it is your it's body. It's the body instrument. Right. And so, um, I think that, I think my voice has benefited from um, being more comfortable in my own skin and um, really embracing all of the things that come with having a body. Um. Mm-hmm. So the <laughs> so. women, real quick, that you've played in the Tribute Fest, let's list those too because I'm curious about this because I know, sure. obviously, Beth from Portishead. Yes. Uh, I was also – so the very, very first Tribute Fest, I was Kim Deal. Of the Pixies. Oh. That was a lot of fun. Plus you play the bass. Plus I play the bass. Um, and then I did play bass uh, for a Bikini Kill set. And then last year I did Chrissy Hind, uh, The Pretenders. Oh, awesome. Um, which is a lot of fun. Awesome. And is that really it? That might well, be it. Well, and also Cindy from yes. 52. Yes. Naturally. <laughs> of course. Yes. I'm probably blanking we because did this together, yeah, we did audience. it together. <laughs> we did this together. <laughs> and it was yeah. the best. It was a lot of fun. It was really great. That was very challenging for me because I didn't know how to play the keyboard like at all. I did not know. See? See? There you go. <laughs> I learned it just for you, actually, just for you guys, just to make it happen. Cause I had no idea. And that's, <sighs> again, that's the trick, ladies and gents. Just Dude. push push on through. <laughs> no one is an imposter. Right. As it turns out, that's every a, it's, it's either succinct. it's no one or everyone, you know what I mean, which is the same kind of thing. Pretty much. Right? Like, hmm. everybody's not knowing what they're doing and, and just and it doesn't doing matter. their best. And you don't matter. know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And music mm-hmm. is a great place for that in particular. Yeah. Because there aren't great. like dire consequences if you... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you mess up or something. No, no. Um, so you have a couple of side projects that you've been doing now yes. too. And they have a very female, feminine slant, right? Mm-hmm. Like so... Um, the freshes is all chicks. Yes. And garter shake is mostly chicks. Yes. Right. So is this is this just how it happened? Or are you like trying to participate in projects that promote female musicians? Um, I'd say it's probably like a combination in that. So the freshes came about um freshes came about in a very utilitarian way, also in that um a few of us in that group uh, wanted to play. We were talking in January of the year that we started, and we wanted to play in Ladyfest, but a few of the folks um, that are in the group are in bands that aren't female-dominated or aren't female-fronted, and so um, they they don't meet the like basic criteria to do it, but they would really love to be in it. And mm. then it sort of became a joke of like, 
why don't we just make a band so that you can play mm-hmm. in Ladyfest? You know, so the the ultimate goal was really just we're going to play in Ladyfest. It's a you good know? workaround. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> and so forces. that's and um, most of the women in it had either some some had worked together before. All of us um, had been in other bands, and so or continued to be in other bands at the same time, and so that um, you know kind of worked out. Uh, you you have that foundation where you know everyone mm-hmm. everyone can bring it everyone yeah. can practice and get it together and so it kind they're of both definitely like woman supergroups right right yeah because Garter Shake also Garter Shake um, sort of came about in part when the freshes weren't doing as much and um, Jen Jannon who's also in the Park Plan and in the freshes um, really wanted to have another project because she had been playing bass for several years and had started to play guitar and the freshes was sort of a motivation for her to play guitar Um, and I love this yeah, and it's so like she reconfigurations w- and everybody expanding their horizons. Yeah, exactly. And she wanted to keep she wanted to keep pushing forward with that, but we weren't meeting as regularly or doing as much, and so she decided she would start another yes, another project. band. Yes. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yes, because why not? And uh, and as as we've described, bands are great motivators to learn how to play instruments. Definitely. Um, so uh, so she. Sort of started it up with uh, Becky from Lo-Fi Delphi and then asked if I would come on to play bass. And so that's great. Sort of how that all came together. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, my last female question. Sure. It's not really a question. I just remember <laughs> I just remember when, <laughs> Ghostbusters, when Ghostbusters came out, you were like one of the only people I knew who was like, yeah, Ghostbusters, <laughs> the female Ghostbusters. I yeah. Mean, you know, because yeah. it's like, you know, it was it – was, it was a movie where, it, like, it was just the chicks doing the chicks thing. Yeah. And, the, like, the one dude in the film was totally, like, treated like he was, like, the canonical chick in a right. film. <laughs> right. And I loved that. Yeah. And, uh, and I loved how self-sufficient they were. And you, you liked it, too, when I was happy. I Yeah. I was very excited about it, as I am about a lot of different uh, sort of similar projects, because I think kind of going back to... Pop culture is very much an area that is my uh, self-care area. I I love reading pop culture articles. I read comics and then uh, go to movies and then read everything there is to know about them. Um, so I guess that's like my geeky area. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of the reason I love it is for me, it's our current mythology Uh this is how we communicate in pictures and symbols and what have you to one another now. And um, I studied religion as an undergrad, if, uh, <laughs> if that informs why I think that, I guess, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so the messages that we send, even in something as simple as who plays these characters, even if, you know, the content isn't the most amazing content or what have you, just the fact that you have, which... I'm not saying that about Ghostbusters. I liked Ghostbusters. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but just the fact, even the fact of having women, you know, get to be the main folks and to talk about all kinds of subjects, men, women, relationships included, but not exclusively. And um, 
I think I had a little tear when Kate McKinnon's character like just went full Bruce Willis in yeah. one of the scenes. She was so great in that it, movie. Yeah, I mean, backwards and forwards, so great. But that scene in particular, for some reason, just really, really hit me. And I think it was partially because she got to do the action-y Bruce Willis, whatever that is usually someone like Bruce Willis gets mm-hmm. to do it. Um, but then also that she did it and it, at no point was it about her being sexy or that she was doing something that only women do, you know, some sort of like shot that came from her heel or I don't yeah, know, something right. something ridiculous that's like very specific to the clothes that she's wearing uh-huh. or what have you. She's wearing, you know, a jumpsuit thing attacking CGI ghosts, you know, yeah. and for some reason I'm like, that is a quality. Like, <laughs> and with like invent- inventions so, that she invented. That she made. Yeah. yeah, that she made. And so, yeah, I I did not expect to be moved uh, in such a, <laughs> in such a film, um, but but yeah, I think that in particular really struck me. And and then seeing all those pictures of little girls wearing Ghostbuster costumes and Aww. stuff, I was just like, this is the best. Um, so anyway, there are yeah. lots of examples, but that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> well, Maura Jacob fighting the good fight along with the Ghostbusters. <laughs> so let's do some uh, listening of your creative pieces that you brought and talk about creativity sure. for a minute. So we're going to do two things today. One is um, an acapella version of a song from PA, mm-hmm. uh, prior, uh, your, not this most recent release, but the one before that, yep. that I referenced earlier as being all about man-made disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to do that one first? Sure, if that's what, if that's what you would like to do. Okay. Um, so just to briefly talk about this album, we mentioned before that there's like a concept to it with it being about man-made disasters but it's also regional mm-hmm. to the area so roots are very important to you i feel like yeah they are um and that's part of that's part of what inspired doing the album around this subject matter was i'm a born and bred pittsburgh girl uh and i felt like there were a lot of stories that you grow up uh hearing uh, i joke with folks it seems like wherever, what state you took social studies in as a kid, mm-hmm. you kind of focus on different things. Like Ben in Massachusetts focused on the pilgrims way longer than we <laughs> focused on the pilgrims uh-huh. <laughs> because they have Plymouth Rock and yeah. you know, they have all those things. And so here in Appalachia and in Pittsburgh specifically, you talk a lot about unions and you talk a lot about in you know really that's industry. what you guys learned about i i did um but <laughs> so you did not um no in florida, <laughs> in florida in florida we learned about uh the native americans uh which is actually quite forward considering that it's well my opinion of florida is not very high so i like to keep it to myself but um native americans and the wildlife hurricanes <laughs> no we didn't talk about the history of hurricanes oh but um ponce de leon and you know the the fountain, um, of, youth. The fountain of youth is supposedly in saint in saint augustine which is the oldest city in florida okay and so you know you go there and there's like a fountain somewhere and you know so you learn about this was in no way a part of my <laughs> education uh- yeah. we learned about like explorers who landed on florida you okay. Know, and things like that. 
<laughs> sure, sure. Well, yeah. So this just, I mean, this just proves my point in that Unions. it seems like we talked a An lot industry. about, you I know, mean, I guess I can see why industrial revolution, unions, about Carnegie and Frick and of all of those, all those folks. Um, Tara, what did you learn about? This is just interesting. To me. <laughs> uh, you were from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I feel like we talked a lot about New York uh, City. Somehow that's really fitting, I guess. Yeah, not a lot <laughs> happened in New Jersey. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah, that's it. What's your state bird? I don't know. Do you know? The mosquito. What? That's our joke in Florida. I've heard that before. <laughs> I like that joke. Totally <laughs> joke. I, mean, I didn't get it. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, back to the subject matter at hand. Oh, sure. So our non-uniform education system has led to um, growing up and hearing a lot um, about uh, maybe not – well, maybe it wasn't framed as disasters, but we still heard a lot about workers' rights and unions and things of that nature. Um, Do they teach you about the massacres and everything? A little bit that I remember, but not a ton. And that's actually some of the motivation with doing the record is I thought – I've only really heard the surface of a lot of these stories. Not that anyone's hiding the content from me, but you just have to be interested to then go and read more about it because they're not going to, I don't know, tell 11-year-olds about a bunch of people dying. I don't know. Right, um, yeah. And so <laughs> uh, so that was some of the motivation with uh, looking into these songs was really kind of trying to know more about my heritage, I guess, for lack of a better term. I do feel like pretty connected to this part of the world. And so I wanted to know more about that. And um, I was really into the idea of trying to take uh, really big events and bring them down to a much more personalized or individual perspective, Um, sort of like people's histories do sometimes and um, trying to find larger meaning in events. Um, but a lot of times it's easier to do that when you think about how individuals felt about it or experienced it than when you try to think about just this really big thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like we have one that's about the Denora smog, uh, which is an event that later impacted our clean air act laws and all those sorts of things. It wasn't immediate, but it's one of a, a few things that happened in the U S that really kind of spurred that conversation. Um, and, uh, but really thinking about what was that experience for, for people on the ground when they didn't really know what was going on and, um, you know, people were getting sick and, and all those sorts of things. And what does that make you think about? Or, um, yeah, kind of where do you go from there, uh, in those experiences? Um, and, and then trying to tie it back to myself because I also don't, I try to find something that helps me feel um like what i'm communicating is genuine and sincere because i guess kind of comes back to i don't don't want to play 20 characters Mm -hmm. i still want the content to be something that really resonates um so that i can deliver it in the way that i want to deliver it right Um, so did you feel connected to your grandfather at all while doing these songs because he was a what she said was he did folk songs about Mm -hmm. pittsburgh yeah yeah i i did i felt connected to him i felt I didn't know him, and so um, it kind of – I think I thought about my grandmother a lot, which is his daughter, Um, but I was really close with her growing up, and so I think I thought of her a lot, and she really loved Pittsburgh, and um, 
and, you know, could see the good and bad qualities of Pittsburgh and experienced Pittsburgh as the smoky city and its transition away from being the smoky city and all of those things. And so, um, uh, that definitely hit me. And then with looking at things like, uh, I looked at Appalachian ballads and cowboy songs, uh, too, and a little further West, uh, just to sort of see how they, how those were structured. Um, and I don't think any of this really comes across necessarily in our songs, but that's some of the research, uh, that went into, into the music was, um, there are so many Appalachian amazing, uh, murder ballads and, uh, and other things that are really great, which again, kind of like find ways to tie in aspects of history, um, but they're personal stories, you know? And so there's so many great ones, uh, and, and stories about war and, you know, and I loved the, the oral tradition aspect of that too. So I try to have, when Action Camp writes, we try to make sure that the songs will hold up as just a guitar and a voice. Um, so that's that's not that's what they good. usually My are. My dad always said, if you, it's a good song if you can still play it acoustic with just a guitar and a voice. Mm-hmm. Every song should be able to be played like that. Yeah, yeah. And so that's how we feel. We 100% feel that way, too. Um, the songs don't always originate that way, um, but that's sort of how you know that it meets your standards as mm-hmm. if it, it works for you in that context. And so this song is actually one of the rare songs that um, is in that format where it's a ukulele and a voice. Um, uh, so the name of the song is No Time, parentheses, Third Shift Lullaby. Mm. Um, and you're going to do this a cappella special treat. Yes. So this one, I won't go into the whole thing, but this one is inspired in a very general way about coal country. And I think it kind of is the closest I come to the ballads that I looked into. So (laughs) I'm so looking forward to this. My darling, I know it's been such a long day. So come and rest by my bedside and dream the night away. No, don't worry, I'll be here when you wake. But is better in our dreams where time is ours to take. Each day the earth tries to swallow you whole. At night I'm buried by your Feet in flight 
would run Each day the earth tries to swallow you whole At night I'm buried by your weight Weight, weight, slow and steady I'll kiss your black lips pink I know that you still need me there's just no time to think oh my god that was so amazing oh thank you I found your voice so soothing um like I was just taken away to some other place I just closed my eyes and drifted away with you well that's good it's called it is called a lullaby no I see why like it just made me like think I gotta write a lullaby for my boyfriend show him my love you know because it's like actually who writes a lullaby nobody writes lullabies anymore it's true yeah. you just wrote a lullaby and you just sang it, it was so beautiful thank you and your voice was just like so on point oh thank you for real practice, do you do warm-ups practice, and stuff you practice <laughs> tell me what um, you do i i wish i was way better about warming up um because i do notice for myself that pretty much halfway during the set i'm like oh this feels way better yeah, um, <laughs> so i am not always good about doing that um but when i think of it uh i do some vocal warm-up things usually a lot is centered around i hold a lot of tension in uh, my jaw and in my shoulders and um really hinders breathing and kind of getting everything out there um and you know just contributes to overall feeling kind of tense um mm -hmm. so i try to do vocal things that are sort of oriented towards loosening up my jaw and my tongue and then doing kind of the, the shimmies kind of getting mm -hmm. my myself loose my body loose um so that uh, I'm not all locked up uh, when I go up there. Um, I'm still relying very heavily on the uh, vocal warm-ups I learned in high school. And I did continue to do some voice in college. And so I have some of those things. But I have not learned any new tricks. So I'm sticking mm -hmm. to the, the classics uh, in terms of <laughs> in terms of warm-up. So pretty much a whole lot of uh, what are what are those called? The the, the raspberry type things that you know so. Oh yeah, I do. I always start with the the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of those. Those are really good though, because They're it does so good. does a lot. It loosens up your lips, obviously, um, but it's making – you have to use a lot of air to mm -hmm. push that out, and so you're kind of activating your lungs to yeah, get ready to like, do it. Yeah, but it's like it's like a soft way to get your your vocal cords in gear too because mm -hmm. if you try to straight go to like, ooh, do high notes, it, you can yeah. – if you're too tight, it, it'll hurt. It won't work. You'll use your throat too much. You'll push mm -hmm. the wrong way. Definitely. But when you do it buzzing your lips, it's like magic. You just right. It just warms you up. Yeah, I think in part because you're also – 
I'm, I can be such a perfectionist and I'm not listening to the tone that's coming out when I'm doing mm. raspberry rolls. There like, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're easier you're on just, yourself. Yeah, exactly. So you're just, you know, you're just letting it flow. You're, it's more about loosening up and it's more about breathing and all those sorts of things. And so it's a little bit, yeah, it's mm-hmm. kinder, I guess, to mm-hmm. myself mentally and physically. <laughs> well, so. whatever you do, it works because you sound beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank that you. That was really, I feel like, so special. Like, I got really moved, actually. Oh, thank so. you. Thank you. It was really cool. Okay, so you also brought a track from your latest. Yes. Most mm-hmm. recently uh, released release, uh, that was so awkward, but it's self-titled. So <laughs> why don't I call this a most recently released release called uh-huh. Action Camp by Action Camp. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so this is your 10th CD. It is. Why did it take 10 CDs to name the CD your band name? Um, I don't know if we consciously didn't choose to use our name, um, in the past. Uh, a little inside scoop is I hate naming things. Mm. Um, it is my least favorite part. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I do not enjoy naming albums. I do not enjoy naming songs. Um, most of our songs, until they are recorded, just go by the random demo name that we have selected for them mm-hmm. um, to the point that sometimes to this day uh, we have to remind each other when it's written as the actual title on the set list, it's like, oh, it's actually, it's actually uh, this demo. Like that's the one. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I don't know why. I just, I, I joke. It's sort of like naming your kids or something. Like it's going to have it forever. You know, uh-huh. that's going to be of its name forever. Um, and so, yeah, it's pressure. I, I, I don't know. I put too much on it. Um, so that's probably part of it. Um, but part of choosing to do it now. I think Joe actually is the one who suggested it and his justification was perfect because he was sort of saying, you know, well, this is a new phase. This is a completely mm-hmm. new phase and we've progressed between every record. You're um, coming out. But yeah, we're coming out with like this totally, a, you know, a whole other member and just really kind of trying to hit the ground running. And I do joke that the CD release for, for Action Camp, the EP, um, was a party for Joe, uh, in my opinion. It's like, mm-hmm. welcome, Joe. Welcome to the, yeah, right. welcome to the group. Um, <laughs> so um, so it, when he suggested it, both Ben and I were like, oh, yeah, no, that's perfect. That makes total yeah, sense. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, obviously we had Melanie Stangle in here as a journalist. She wrote about your uh, release. As, you got several write-ups, actually, but I made, I you know, embarrassed her probably by reading <laughs> an excerpt from mm-hmm. um from our review from your review during her episode as it turns out and it's funny because i already like she it was, that was about the song um shaken all over mm-hmm. and i already like the song but then when i listened to it after i read all of that in-depthness I liked it even more. Like it was weird. Like it gave me like, I was like, Oh, I can't wait to hear shaking all over. And then I just like listen to it and it has, I don't know what song are you going, what song are you going to play from this? Um, not that the, one. Not that one. The, the very first song, which is a war at my side, which she does talk about mm-hmm. and she does pull out lyrics from, which yeah. we were talking a yeah, little we bit saying. before the segment that it's amazing when reviewers pull out lyrics because you work so hard on them and they rarely are talked about in reviews, which I understand. You only have so much space Mm -hmm. and 
they take up word space in and of themselves. And so I get it. Um, but when I saw that, I, I immediately a huge smile on my face, mm -hmm. just like, Oh, she listened. She heard the words, you know, and she's thinking about the words in relation to everything else. And I'm like, Oh, thank God. Um, yeah, so that's really nice. Listening. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but, um, this track, what is this one called again? War at my side. War at my side. So, Tell us about your creation process for this song. Sure. Um, so, so part of the way the music came about for this song and a few of the songs on the demo um, were actually Ben and Joe came out to my house uh, in the woods and we just worked on demos for a while and we just kind of, which is brand new for Ben and myself because with working with so many electronic elements in the past, it really hasn't been, we weren't jamming, but it was much closer to jamming than Action Camp has ever come to jamming. Mm -hmm. um, because when you're doing electronic things, there's just a lot more effort. You have to but, program it. Yeah. There's a lot of effort that comes in the front end of everything where you have to, even if you want to have like a basic drum beat to work around, you have to program that drum beat and that takes a certain amount of time and then you choose the sounds and all that sort of stuff. So it it doesn't, oddly enough, it doesn't really feel super organic uh, coming from this mm -hmm. digital machine. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it was fun to uh, be able to kind of have it be more organic. We started with um, some basic ideas and then we just sort of layer or kind of pivot off in another direction and come back. And, um, I feel like a lot of action camp songs sort of, we go as big as we would ever want to go with the song and then start a gradual process of cutting and refining and editing. Um, and, uh, so that's often how it's almost like sculpture, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> where, you know, we're trying to figure out how all the elements work together and uh -huh. what have you. That's interesting. Um, but then for the lyrics, which I tend to do by myself um, and kind of bring those to the to the guys and um, work with it there, I do a lot of writing in my car. Uh, I listen to the demo just over and over and over again. And I find that... While you're driving around? While I'm driving around. Um, which Sounds dangerous. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know, I know this. Like, if I get, I have done this too, so uh -huh. I, I relate. Yeah, I mean, and I, when I say it's driving around, it's also usually like I currently split time between Pittsburgh and West Virginia. Um, so you're in the car a lot. I'm in the car a lot, and I'm in the car on you know highways and little country roads where no one's around me. So I guess that adds to the safety uh, <laughs> of doing this. Um, but I've also heard that it's easier to um, it can it can be easier to be creative or to internalize music when you're doing one other kind of I shouldn't call drive driving thoughtless, but sort of thoughtless activity. Like if you listen to music while exercising, it's actually easier to internalize mm -hmm. uh, the lyrics or other things if you're doing just running or different things like that. I've heard that that helps. So. I don't know if that's what's actually happening uh, when I'm working on songs in the car, but I like to think it is. Um, the old uh, – uh, some guy one time was like, I can write a song faster and better than you. I don't know why this was happening, but this, <laughs> this guy challenged me in this way. And um, and I was like, I bet I can better than that. We were having a fight about it mm -hmm. at a party one time. It was stupid. But anyway, <laughs> he told me, though, that he writes all of his best songs in the shower. So it's mm -hmm. the same kind yeah. of idea. I think – 
my life is really busy and it's really hard sometimes to like make myself sit down and give myself that space Mm -hmm. um, because I can convince myself that I'm neglecting something else when I do that. And when you're in the car and you're just, you're going to be in the car for an hour or whatever it is, even 15 minutes, there's only so much you can do. So then though, how do you do it though when you have an idea like do you like build up a little buffer in your memory and then you pull over and scroll it down or you like voice memo it or usually, what's, the, what's the strategy? Usually a combo. Uh, like I, I tend to try to buffer as much in my mind. I have um, definitely turned on the, the voice memo on my phone and just let it roll um, while I'm listening. So you hear like, you know, all the fuzz in the background uh-huh. and it playing over the car speakers and whatnot. How many then, voice memos of... Of regrettable things do you have in there? Probably. Mine are like, mine's like full of like terrifying, like <laughs> hamburger, hamburger, hot dog, hot dog, hamburger, hamburger, hot dog, hot dog. It's really like, you just don't, nobody should look there. Yeah. <laughs> and then like one gem that sure. comes into and turns into a song. <laughs> sure, sure. I think, well, most of my voice memos are around melodies. Uh, so it's a whole lot of like, I mean, there's ton that are completely worthless and off tune and went in the wrong directions and all that sort of stuff. But most of the voice memos are for melody. When it comes to lyrics, I, if things pop into my head driving, then I'll try to really hold on to them. And if I doubt that I'll be able to, then I'll try to pull over and do that. But otherwise, I, I do try to give myself that time alone uh, to work on words, not in, <laughs> not doing dangerous things. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this song... Um, I would say if there is a theme to some of the music that we're starting to make, a lot of the songs are about being on on the cusp of something. We talked a little bit about transitions earlier, and I think in my own life I feel like I'm in a lot of cuspy places where I'm moving from one place to the other, and that can be really uncomfortable, and you kind of have to focus on what you want at the end of everything in order to kind of make it through that uncomfortable phase or, or the good parts of what's happening in the present as well. Um, so some of the songs are around that. This song is kind of more political than our other songs. Um, this song originates more from the election. And I wouldn't say that I was totally surprised by the results of the election, but I remember very distinctly for a few days just sort of feeling like the world was no longer safe. Um, I didn't feel safe in the world anymore. And it was sort of eye-opening to realize that I had ever felt totally safe prior <laughs> as well. Yeah, in a way, uh, that's true. Yeah. But uh, it was a really daunting thing, and it made me feel um, really questioned other people and things of that nature. So this song is kind of about, I kind of joke to myself that the song is about like radical empathy. Um, (laughs) I was trying to kind of wrap my mind around, you know, uh, why would people want us to be living what we're living right now? You know, why is this happening? And there are tons of think pieces that are much better than I would be at kind of guessing as to why we're here but i think some of that is also it's really complicated human beings and their motivations are this weird mesh of things that we've been told things that we believe things that we've experienced um and so for this song i was really trying to put myself 
in the headspace of, you know, what would motivate you to go for this really extreme solution to your own discomfort, I guess. Um, so is it told from the point of view of someone who you conjure in your mind like that, or is 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 that what how it's... So in the bluntest of terms, this song is from the perspective of someone who who voted for our current president and voted for our current president because of, again, complicated reasons, but a lot of which originate in, um, I think we have a segment of our population that doesn't understand the privileges that they have, or they bristle at the word privilege. Um, and I think that that doesn't come from a totally wrong place in that we have a lot of associations with the word privilege that they don't necessarily feel in their day-to-day -day life. And um, they might be experiencing hardships and think that this is the solution to their hardships. But of course, this solution is hindering the lives of lots of other people um, and not recognizing or recognizing and not caring that your decision is going to have this really negative impact on um, all of these people's lives. And so I'm not, I'm not really trying to argue about like conservative or liberal or anything like that. This is really about like this moment in history, my feeling at that time, and also just the confusion um, that I personally had, but I feel like a lot of people in our country on all sides, even folks who are more comfortable with how the election went or more comfortable with our current world, there's still a lot of confusion and a lot of feeling like people don't understand me. And um, so, for example, um, you know, one of the lines in the song, because again, this is more from the perspective, if we're just to put caricatures to it, like a more a conservative perspective, um, saying, you know, I know how others see me is one of the lyrics. And it's just sort of, bristling at this idea like people think that I'm we hear all these images about who voted for the president like and it essentially boils down to talking about a lot of people like they're white trash or talking about them as if they're you know living in a bubble or that kind of thing which I could understand how that would be really frustrating um to feel like your voice has been silenced uh for a really long time and so now you know I really want to be heard so I that's the part that I could kind of wrap my mind around. I don't mm -hmm. wholeheartedly agree, you know, but so it was sort of a way of coping with feeling uh, really out of sorts with the transition our country is going through. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to try to figure out like, what are the parts of this other segment of the population that I can wrap my mind around and try to really feel and so then maybe from there, we can kind of have a conversation because the other part of the song has been and uh, Joe are singing a backing part that's sort of from the other perspective, one that's more aligned with myself mm -hmm. to kind of um, demonstrate like a conversation back and forth. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I hope that made some sense. Yeah, no, you're just like <laughs> the most uh, compassionate individual. This is what I was saying earlier. You like are listening because you're trying to understand even if you don't agree or whatever. Like you find a way to connect so that you can communicate. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really brave for you to write a song like this that then you have to play that character. You know, mm -hmm. some random listener might think 
you think that, you right. know, and that's not, but that's not the, the point of the overall song. Right. Is, is, is the picture that you're conveying. Yeah. So that's part of why I tried to choose again, the things that I could, that resonated with me from this opposite perspective too, because I didn't want to say things that I like just Didn't. could not endorse sure. <laughs> in any, in any way. <laughs> but, right. yeah. Great. Well, let's listen to it.
Wow, that was hair raising. <laughs> like literally my arm is like Aww. all my hairs are raised. <laughs> um, that was so great. I love how, I mean, I love all the words obviously, but I, I got to say also the music was like really nice and like heavy, mm-hmm. you know? I realized listening to it, I actually hadn't thought about it, but I was like, the song is pretty menacing, which I guess is kind of a... <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> menacing. Which, which I feel like works when... To me, this perspective that I'm trying to wrap my mind around is a pretty, to me, menacing perspective. And yeah. so I was like, oh, it's well, a that's a nice uh, thing that I didn't even totally realize that I had done. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. No, that was awesome. I, um, I Congratulations on your latest release. It's great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And many more happy years to Action Camp. <laughs> 12 Thank and you. beyond. 12 and beyond. <laughs> okay. I have one more question for you. Um, and then, and then we'll take off, but, uh, you are just such a self-possessed person, like just like oh. so calm and confident and composed all the time. It's really. <laughs> Thanks. I don't always feel I'm that sure <laughs> maybe not when you're like at home by yourself reading your comic books and talking like a sailor or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, did you go through some shit? Like you don't have to tell us what it was or anything, but like, but oh, did sure. you go through some shit and you came out and you were like self-possessed and calm and you got all this wisdom and this is how you get to like be so g- good <laughs> or d- did, have you kind of like always had this like way about you that, that you have this, I mean, you're just so like, I don't know, you're like wise or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. I don't, you know, I don't always feel that way. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear how other Well, no one who is that you. way ever feels that way. I, don't think. <laughs> I think if you feel like I'm the Zen master, then right. you're probably like a terrible person. You're, prob- you're probably <laughs> not. <laughs> you're <Yeah>, probably <laughs> not. Maybe not a terrible person, but you're probably not right. really, you know, sure. like you're, you know, you allow yourself to feel things, mm-hmm. bad things, good things. And like that allows you to be an authentic person mm-hmm. and live your moments, you know, and make decisions about where you want to go with your life mm-hmm. and use your energy how you want to. And I think people, everyone wishes that they were doing that. And um, people, some people just don't even know how to do that. Yeah. I think some of it is a combination of I don't think I've all. I think I've been evolving my whole life, um, which I, I guess ideally everyone does. Um, I would say that growing up, my parents um, both sort of instilled in me that one of the the most important things is to listen to yourself and to do the things that you know make that make sense to you that fit with you. Um, you know, it's sort of that whole, uh, you know, don't follow the the rest of the crowd sort of thing. But it was more than that in that it – I think from a very young age they um, instilled in myself and in my brother that um, we already had wisdom. You already know yourself better than other people know you. You know, you know yourself the best. And so it's more than just the crowd can lead you wrong. It's also just that, like, you're the authority on you. And so – uh, use your voice and tell people, you know, what you need and what you want. Um, and I think that that mentality has served me very well. I wouldn't say that it's always been really easy, though, um, because I've had um, a lot of negative experiences when I was younger. 
um, specifically in high school, which uh, I guess is the that's the time is for them. the time yeah. uh, that that tends to happen. Um, but where being true to what to myself um, and a lot of that also entails like I don't want to tell other people what to do. It's sort of a similar mentality of I'm not going to tell you you have to do what I'm doing. I'm just saying what I want to do. Um, it doesn't work in a high school scenario where everybody's trying to figure out who they are. And so therefore, you know, there's, it's a really big group mentality time. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had a really hard time with that and I lost friendships that I think some of it really boils down to, um, I felt more comfortable in my own skin, but then I was led to, you know, that made them uncomfortable. And then I would say I was comfortable in my own skin and didn't realize it. I felt uncomfortable all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's not to say that I've always been like, I'm I'm great, you know. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I felt uncomfortable all the time. And then in getting older, realized that some of that was just sort of that the most basic guiding thing was you have to listen to yourself and, Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it's not, it's not to say you don't take advice. That's not to say that you don't work. No, no, I totally, (laughs) I hear what you're saying. Like you're, um, that's your compass, Mm -hmm. you know, like you have, you have some directionality within you, Mm -hmm. um, which is, which is separate from taking advice. Right. And I think from, from what I've heard from some of your other conversations, uh, I, I, I feel like something that really resonated with me listening to Melanie and other folks was that I think sincerity and genuineness is not something that, especially when we're younger, is highly valued, though it should be. Um, and so people are intimidated by sincerity, and it's easy to be sincere when it's coming from something you're really confident about, which is, you know, your own perspective or the things that you love, you know, so if you're talking about something you love or taking part in something you love, it's really easy to be sincere about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all just trying to figure things out. And I think when someone is also genuine about I'm still trying to figure things out. This is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I think that can also, you know, it it welcomes in the right people and maybe scares away what ultimately weren't the right people for right. you then. Yeah. You know, I agree. So um I don't know how not to be this way. So it's uh-huh. it's kind of one of those uh I wanna I wanna say that I like really figured it out, but it's also I don't really have a choice like this is just, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't yeah sure do anything else so sure yeah <laughs> well it's great I like the thing that you are naturally and, <laughs> and I'm Thank glad you. that you don't have a persona on stage I'm glad you are Maura Jacob <laughs> Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure to talk to thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, it's really fun to be able to, uh, again, explore some of the things uh, I never really get to talk to other people about. Yeah, so. it's great. I had a great time <laughs> and it was a really special treat to hear your acapella lullaby. Oh, thank you. I'm going to listen to it <laughs> as soon as possible and maybe before bedtime every night. Right, so. in, the, in the proper environment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Petticoat Rule, galvanizing women in musical creativity. 
The views and opinions expressed during the show are solely those of persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the producers. Subscribe and find more information and episodes at PetticoatRule.net. Follow us on Facebook at Petticoat Rule and on Instagram and Twitter at Petticoat Rule FM. Thank you.